Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. All right. Well, we have a couple of announcements. There's still the roster out front in the foyer to take a look at that if you're interested in helping out in one of the ministries here. And also there will be a church meeting following the service today. So I encourage you to stick around for that. We'll talk about the upcoming camp in April and various happenings at the church. So stick around after morning tea and enjoy that. And uh, yeah, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your wisdom and your word. Thank you that you love us, that you have extended your grace to us, that you, you have told us about our problems so that we can find the healing and hope and salvation that's found in Jesus alone. And we thank you that you draw us to yourself gently, that you speak to our hearts with mercy and that you are, you are truly with us and you never forsake us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've called us by your name, through the gospel, by the work Jesus has done. And I pray we would be filled with your spirit and with rejoicing and thanksgiving and humility, knowing that we know you by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about when kids are young, parents... They are, are apt to discipline their child when they know their child intentionally did wrong. Or perhaps they're doing something that puts them or, the, or other people in immediate danger. And those are times where it's like your, your need to discipline is heightened, right? If you know, and, and in our household, we would have discussions to see the motive. If, if someone spoke out of ignorance or if it was willful, if it was a willful lie. And uh, that's the difference. Getting to the heart of motive is really important because that's the difference between murder and accidental death or uh, borrowing with permission and stealing, right? You can have someone's goods in your possession, the toy, your friend's toy, but did you steal that or are you just borrowing it? And did you ask them? Did you talk to them about that so that we could get to the bottom of explaining things and then working out um, what's an appropriate consequence. Now we don't know everything. I think as parents, we don't know everything. We can be deceived. We can be biased. Um, our decisions can be, have a tinge of hypocrisy, but God, he doesn't have our weaknesses. He is all wise. He is all knowing. He is altogether just. He always exhibits love and self-control He's a righteous judge of all the earth who's perfect in all of his ways. And as a parent, you have the right to the last word. And as God, he has all rights over all creation. So God created man in his own image. Man has historically chosen to, he, he's used his freedom. Mankind has to oppose God, to put God on trial, to condemn God, to reject God, to live as if God does not exist. That's how we have used our freedom at times. Now, praise God. He loves people like this, people like us, right? Praise the Lord. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter one, verse 16. Last week we began the book and we began this main theme of the book, which is the gospel. We read in Romans 1 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel, the good news, it's the power of God into salvation 
for all who believe. When we believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God. Now God's righteousness is revealed in saving people through faith in him. The gospel provides salvation. God saves believers for something and from something. He saves us for his glory to acknowledge and to praise him. And also he saves us from hell. He saves us from destruction and his wrath that we deserve. And Paul begins this letter. He, he, he introduces his subject and then he just hits them very hard. Like he, he is very direct in saying God's righteousness is revealed through his wrath against sin because God is good. It is right and fitting that he should know he, he, he determines what's right and wrong and that he takes action against sin. And he goes into great t- detail of how chronic and widespread this problem is that we are really all doomed. God's righteous. His wrath for sin is just and our own sinfulness that should provide really desperation in us to find the salvation that's available only through Jesus. So picking up in verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Now the wrath of God, wouldn't we say that's a touchy subject? One would rather not camp on too long. We don't like the idea of being, um, us subjected to God's wrath or others being subjected to his wrath. And we don't want to feel threatened or to be put in fear. Now wrath, that's holy and just indignation for sin. It's anger. It's fitting punishment of the crime. And we read about the wrath of man. It's rarely without sin, but God's wrath is always righteous. It's always without sin because he's good. And Paul, he doesn't point to the evidence of God's wrath being shown in the past or what's going to happen in the future. He says the wrath of God is revealed. It's being seen now in the world that there are things in this world, sinful things that call for his wrath. And we see it all around us. We see it even in ourselves against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So ungodliness speaks of offense against God, unrighteousness, Um, sins against man. And we see that the gospel, it's for everyone. It's for Jew and Gentile alike, because we're all corrupt. We've all gone astray. God gave his people the law on Sinai. They read his words that he wrote with his own finger and they disobeyed them. And God gave the Gentiles a conscience and they sinned against their conscience. They did things they knew that was wrong before they did it. They made it made a deliberate choice to sin against what God had said and against their conscience. So God's given the truth, but man has suppressed the truth about God in every possible way. We're condemned. Man faces judgment from God, not because we're ignorant of him, but because we sin against what we know is right. We know what's right. We don't always do what's right. Do we No, we do what's wrong? We make that choice. We know it's wrong to steal, to lie or deceive, but we can do that anyway. And if we're called out for our faults, we can shift. We try to shift the blame. We show others that, well, they're as bad as me or everyone does this. Or they're actually worse than me. You should be talking to them. Or we try to justify ourselves. We have all these ways of trying to escape God's judgment. We take aim at the law. Well, the law is wrong. That, that law shouldn't be that way. 
the problems with the law, the, the problems with the way the law is carried out to try to distance ourselves from judgment. The Bible says what may be known of God has been manifested to us. So God has revealed himself to us. He's given us senses. He's given us a brain to think. He's given us his word to instruct us. He's created this world that's full of symmetry and beauty and life. He's given us a conscience to guide us. He's given parents to, to uh, raise us and government to rule us. We see God's hand in everything. And God also came to earth in the person of Jesus. He came and walked among us. He spoke and we have the, the testimony of his life in our hands. So we're without excuse. He said in John three nineteen, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the problem exists in our hearts, in our minds with unbelief, self love and pride and this decision to suppress, or that means to restrain or to stifle, to conceal the truth of God, the things he's revealed about himself and choose sin instead. It's kind of like Pharaoh's magicians. Remember Moses is doing these miracles by the power of God. And there came a point when the miracle happened of lice that from the dust turned to, to lice. And they said, this is the finger of God. This is beyond our power to explain or to do, but they kept venerating their idols. They refused and resisted obedience to God, though they knew it was the finger of God, right? So they knew it, but they suppressed it. The truth of God is suppressed. It's suppressed in society and government and even by believers because God can be an unpopular and controversial subject to speak about. Would you agree with that? Right? very controversial picking up in verse 20 for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened for all who deny that there's evidence of God. The Bible asserts that our created world is ample evidence in itself. We know that every painting has a painter. We know that every building has a builder. You don't need to see the builder to know that it had to have a builder because buildings with plumbing and electricity uh, running through a uh, conduit, it doesn't just happen. We know it's engineered, it's designed. So things that are designed have a designer and creation must have a creator. It takes no faith to believe that we live on an earth that's full of living things because we see them reproduce after their own kind. It does take faith to believe that God did this because we didn't physically see him do it. However, we have the evidence of him all around us. And it says revealed in them. We see his evidence inside of us because we're created in his image. Even without the biblical account, we know by observation that life can only come from life. Thus, our creator is a living being. We can see in the natural laws that exist, that there is a lawgiver and order that's maintained continually. Psalm 19, one, three says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day and day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. 
So this message of God's existence and his glory has gone throughout the whole earth. Doesn't matter how educated you are. If you are a human being created in the image of God, you have all you, all the evidence that's needed to say with conviction, there is a God. We can know him through his word. God did not keep us in the dark. God spoke to the first man, Adam. We have these recorded firsthand events in the Bible. He made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. He delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He revealed himself to them on Mount Sinai and he gave them his laws and commands. Yet even God's people did not remain faithful to him. The Lord said this by the prophet in Isaiah one, two, and three. Hear, O heavens and give ear O earth for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey, its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider. It's quite remarkable, right? That a trained ox knows its owner. He knows the, the sound of its owner's voice It understands the commands given by the owner. And this is a, a beast of burden. And yet it knows who its owner is. And a donkey will know where to feed. It knows when feeding time is and where to go, where the trough would be or where the grazing would be. A donkey would know, but he's like, my own people don't know me. They don't come to me. They don't recognize my voice. They ignore me. They don't know or consider him. So from the creation of the world, God's existence was already obvious. Then God comes to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to the Jews but he was rejected by envious men. He was crucified. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, his truth was suppressed and he was murdered in ungodliness and unrighteousness. And in Jesus, we see the full embodiment of God himself. Um, the word Godhead in other translations, it's divine nature. We see the fullness of God's deity in bodily form in Jesus. And he's made himself clear to the world. He's made him known by his creation to his creation. And we can personally know Jesus through faith in him. He rose from the dead in glory and majesty. And because God has revealed himself, all mankind is without excuse. So in addition, there's going to be a whole slew of things here. Rationale reasons. In addition to suppressing the truth, the sin of man goes further. It says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here we see God's perspective on things. It doesn't matter if we agree with it or not. This is how it is. God is telling us objectively. He's given us brains, the capacity to think and to know, and he knows everything that we know. He knows it. And he says, you're suppressing the truth. I know what you know, and I know what you're thinking. And he's giving us his judgment here. People who don't give, it's like we live in his world. We enjoy the light of his son. We read his words. We hear the testimony of Jesus. We choose to not glorify or even thank him. And so God says, this is sin to not be thankful to God, to not even acknowledge God's existence after all he's done and doing for you to prefer your imagination to fill it with vain speculation rather than believing the plain truth. 
I was thinking about cooking food and putting it in the fridge. So you cook some steamed asparagus, some spag bowl, put them in containers, put them in the fridge. And after a while, if it's been there, you forgot about it, it got pushed to the back, it goes off, right? And once it goes off, that food's not good for human consumption. You just, you've got to bin it. And can you imagine if in the darkened fridge, there's this conversation happening between the steamed asparagus and the spag bowl, and they're praising the fridge. It's like this fridge is amazing how it's, it's given us life. And then they're talking about um, these containers that they were stored in, how, how delicate and beautiful and functional these containers in that are keeping their contents safe as they sit in the dark without mention of the chef. Now we know that asparagus is not grown, washed, cut, or steamed by chance. It does not happen. I've never seen asparagus just growing in my yard. I don't even know how you would grow it. Someone does, and I appreciate that person or people. And the spag bowl could know noodles, meat, sauce, all coming together in this balance and harmony. They don't come from the same place. How could this possibly be? They don't arise spontaneously. They're not combined accidentally. Dishes are made by a chef to eat. God created mankind with souls in his image. We're not like trees or birds or, or, plant, or, or plants. We're, we're human beings. We're people with a living soul. That doesn't just come together on accident. He's given us a soul who can see, think, speak, know, and glorify him. And to dismiss God as irrelevant or non-existent, that is foolish. And I think one day the chef opens that door, sees that steamed asparagus and spag bowl that's just gone totally off. See that slime on there and go, okay, it's time for the bin. There's nothing I can do for you now. Now, when we open the book of Romans, it's like God shedding light on lost souls while there's still hope to not go into the bin, to be redeemed, to be restored, to know God. And for believers too, that have forgotten about God, who aren't acknowledging him, who are even suppressing the truth where he calls and we don't recognize his voice. He's saying, this is for you too. Hear this. There's this warning that God's wrath is revealed against the ungodly and unrighteous. Picking up in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creator, excuse me, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. These learned, intelligent people to whom God has given brains and the ability to reason claim to be wise yet suppress the knowledge of God who aren't praising or thanking him. God exposes them as fools instead of being in awe of the God who created us and designed us. And he designed the human form and the flight of birds and mammals and reptiles. Man has found among created things, his objects of veneration and worship. It's like God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? God appears with fire on the Mount Sinai, gives them his laws, gives us the children of Israel, his laws. And, and while this is happening, while Moses is receiving the laws, Aaron, what does he do? He makes an idol 
a golden calf for the people to worship. And he says, Hebrews, here is your God who delivered you from Egypt. And they all worshiped it. They offered sacrifices to it. So instead of giving credit to God who parted the Red Sea, who just appeared to them on Sinai, who was speaking with Moses at the time, they turned to an engraved object made by Aaron and worshiped it. Instead, image here, it's a Greek word, ikon. That's the word which is derived icon. It's an image. It's a representation. So the glory that belongs to God alone, it's been transferred to created animals, to images, to pictures. So these things that are made are being venerated except God instead of God. And God said this in Isaiah 40, 25, to whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy one, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. People will thank the universe, but they will not thank God who created the universe. Some worship themselves rather than God who created them. And God put the sun, the moon, the stars to put them above God, to put a spirit animal or a creature over God to say that he is beneath everything that he's made. It's insanity. It's insanity from a biblical view. So the loving God who gave his only begotten son to redeem sinners. So he gave his only son and we'll see three things that he gives people over to it as judgment against them. He gave people up to uncleanness. And this means lusts. They dishonored bodies as divine judgment. So man's corruption was shown by giving, being given over to sexual sin, being given over to vice. We know that the scripture says sex between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. It's a holy gift, something to be treasured and enjoyed. But outside of marriage, sex is sinful. It's impure. Now this term vice, I thought I knew what it meant. I went back into its origins. It means depravity, corruption, wickedness. And it comes from an old French word that literally means that which whines. So I was thinking vice, like something that grips something like a, a vice in a metal shop. But this vice, it's something that whines like a screw, like a spiral staircase, a vine that whines and binds and twists. Now a screw is very different than a nail. They do a similar function, but the way that they're used is different. So Solomon had talked about nails that are straight and sharp and hammered in. They're well set by the, uh, the preacher. Well, a screw, you don't want to hammer a screw. If you try to hammer a screw, it will just push through the material. So it has nothing to grab to. It's not able to work. And so we can't to, to take sex outside of marriage is to substitute a screw for the nail and to hammer it in. It's, it's not efficient. It's not functional in that way. So deviating from God's word, it, uh, it's bad habits, moral failings, things that do hold people in a death grip, like a vice. We live in a sex crazed world. We live in a world where lust and immoral sexual pursuits, they call for God's wrath. And so people, God gave up people to lust that corrupt and consume them. Those who's exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God's revealed the truth about himself to everyone. 
Man's exchanged the truth of God for the lie that man can be God, that man decides what's right and wrong. The Bible knowledge commentary explains this lie, this lie that was exchanged as man can exist independent of God, self-sufficient, self-directing and self-fulfilling. Doesn't that fit the model that we see in the world or the way that we've lived our lives? We live in a world really that's sloppy drunk with self has exchanged God's truth for lies. Like Esau offered Jacob his birthright for a bowl of lentils. It's important too, that we don't relegate the sin of idolatry or the selfishness to those who, who have a physical image they burn incense to. Now we think it's strange in the West to have a shrine or to bow before an idol, to place food or money on a plate for spirits or to wear a charm for good luck to ward off evil. Idolatry in the West takes another form. It's often our own image that we care about. We care about us. We, we take pride in our identity, our possessions, our social status. We want people to bow to us with words that affirm us and praise us. We want to have our own way. We want to do what we want and get what we want. We like being in control, don't we? We like the idea that what we say is what goes. We want to have the final word. We want to be in charge. It's also important that we don't say, well, this is for idolaters or this is for people outside the church. No, even though we're in church, Paul is talking about us. Because being a Christian doesn't mean we're sinless. It means that we've been forgiven. It means we've been redeemed. But we are sinners who at times can worship the creature over the creator. We can exalt ourselves rather than glorifying God. So as long as we remain in this corruptible flesh, there's this tendency to return to what cannot save us or bless us. Another thing too, verse 27, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So God gave people up to uncleanness, uncleanness of mind and lifestyle, and here gave them up to vile passions, which would include a homosexual lifestyle. It's described here as vile. That word is morally base, impure, or depraved. We see this word used other times in scriptures in different contexts, like the sons of Eli. They were priests. They slept with women that came to the tabernacle. And God described them as vile in 1 Samuel 3.13. He says, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity, which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. In light of God's power and holiness, Job called himself vile. We know that Job was a righteous man, but he said in Job's 40 verse four, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. So I bring up these verses to show that all sin in God's eyes is vile. Even if we're not ashamed of it, even if we're proud of it in God's eyes, every sin is shameful. Even if we have forgotten how to blush because that's what God's people forgot to do during their time where he's like, my people, they have forgotten how to blush. They're not even ashamed when they disobey me and they 
suppress the truth of God. Now, homosexuality, it's one of many expressions of immorality that God identifies in scripture. As I said before, sex is a gift from God, rightly expressed and enjoyed in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. The Bible, the world, and many, if not every person here, we have supplied examples of sinful and immoral conduct concerning sex. I would say there's probably examples in every single person here, whether it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And so let's not be religious hypocrites who condemn one sexual sin while excusing our own lustful looks or shameful habits. And it's important to know too, that God's judgment with fire upon Sodom was not for their sexuality. Why don't you turn there? Ezekiel 16, starting in verse 49. This was very eye opening when I saw this the first time. Ezekiel 16, 49. It's always convenient to see the sinner is out there somewhere, someone else, but not it's me. This is me that God's talking about. Ezekiel 16, 49. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Pride led to Satan's downfall. It was also at the core of the abominations in Sodom because God had revealed himself to them. He had given them a conscience and they chose to be haughty and arrogant and not to care about people, not to love one another and to reject God. Self-centered. Years ago, Lady Gaga, she wrote a hit called Born This Way. One of the lyrics says, I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track because I'm born this way. Now it is true that God is only good and right. But on our own, we are on the wrong track. We are on the track heading to destruction because of our sin. The Bible is true. God is only pure. He's only right. But the Bible also says that gay, straight, bi, lesbian, transgender alike, we're all sinners heading to destruction. Only God can give us salvation through the gospel. So whether you're sexually active or even abstinent, we are all doomed without hope. If we stay the way we are in our sin, Jesus says, if we want to be saved and to go to heaven, we have to be born again. And those who justify sin because they're born this way, they try in vain to pin their sinfulness on God and it will not stick to him. Continuing in Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those that who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. This is the third thing now. In addition to giving people over to uncleanness and to vile passions, he gave them over to a debased mind. 
because they did not like to remember God. They would like not like to retain him, like putting all thoughts of God out. So people who willfully ignore God, reject his word, they disapprove of him. So it's like, if you do those things, I will give you as a judgment, a faulty mind, a mind that's not working properly, a mind that cannot see properly. They lose the distinction between what's right and what's wrong. So God gave mankind minds that are ruined morally. It's kind of like trying to tell time when there's no hands on your watch. It's like, you have to guess you look outside. Well, or a spirit level. You guys have had a spirit level and there's like three bubbles and none of them agree. So you just try to find the middle. You're like, well, I think this, it looks kind of straight and this bubble I know is off. This one could be okay. So I'm just going to eyeball it and call it good. That's at our best, our own type of morality because of this debased mind God has given us. When coins are struck, some are marred and blemished. They're rejected as legal tender. And that is a picture of the mind. That's like it's stamped improperly. It is not valid. It does not work how it should. It doesn't fit in the machine, the debased mind. So because God was rejected by man, God gave mankind minds that are below the standard of those created in his image because of this corrupted conscience. We do read as well that Satan blinds the minds of people in two Corinthians four, three and four. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God should shine on them. So God is not to be faulted for blinding those who refuse to use their eyes to see. They will not see, so they cannot see. But there's hope for us because Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. Right? Amen. We need Jesus. After reading all this, you're like, wow, this is pretty heavy. This is remarkable. What the, the condemnation that we deserve. So, the result of being given up to uncleanness and vile passions and a debased mind, it's, it's lives marred by sin. That's the result. So instead of our bodies or our minds being used for the glory of God, we say and do things that do not meet our designed purpose. The reason why God's made us. It's kind of like a luxurious mansion that was built and designed to house children and to raise them, to host dinner parties and to, with a swimming pool outside. That's completely unused and has become a ruin. And it's like, it's now where the birds roost and where the leaves collect. It was never designed to be a leaf collection building. It was supposed to host people. The lights were supposed to be on with children playing in the room. And instead it's dark and it's damp and there's animals living in there. It wasn't designed for that purpose. And this is like our minds. This is like our bodies because we've been given over to uncleanness. And now He's rattled off 23 sins that have marred humanity since sin entered the world. So sin it's conceived in our hearts by our desires. And when given opportunity and release, we choose that. That's what God calls sin. It's opposed to him. And so they can be expressed. If you go through, I'm not, I don't have time to describe all of them to you. I don't really feel that's necessary. You can look it up in a concordance and read these in the dictionary. Um, I'm sure uh, most of them, I probably don't have to explain, but they can be expressed secretly in our hearts by the things we do or say, 
by the things we do or refuse to do. He mentions covetous here. It's something that Paul would not have thought was a sin unless God said so. And that's just wanting something that someone else has for yourself. Seeing that and go, I want that covetousness. He's like, I wouldn't have known that unless God told me. I wouldn't have thought that was bad, but God calls it sin. So it's by exposure to God's word, a willingness to receive the truth that Paul's heart and his mind and life was changed. God gave him a new heart and a renewed mind. And that's something we too can have through faith in Jesus. And so Paul, he's intentionally casting this extremely broad net for the purpose of catching all humanity. He's saying, you're all caught. You're all exposed. You're all in this box. There's no one who's on the outside except Jesus, but this touches everybody. And if you can read this list and you can say you've never personally experienced or been dominated or tempted by some of these sins at a point, it is fair to assert that you are suffering the effects of a debased mind. Your conscience is seared. Perhaps you are even dead in sins. If you can read this and not find yourself in this chapter and the lack of shame or acknowledgement doesn't mean you're innocent. It does not exonerate you. Our lack of shame does not exonerate it because God will punish us according to our sins. Rightfully so. Our sin calls for his wrath and God would hold people accountable for the things they did. And notice those last things. He's like, I hold you accountable for what you're not, who you're not. So who we are, that's heavy. So it's not just what you do, but who you are. You are condemned by that. Because he exposes them as undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. These characteristics that were not found in them, but are found in God, all of them perfectly, because he made us to discern. He made us to be trustworthy, loving, forgiving, and merciful like he is. He designed us to be in fellowship with him, to be like him, to love him, to glorify and honor him but we've all failed to live up to this standard. So if you've read this list of 23 sins, you feel like you dodged a bullet. Verse 32, that's the kill shot. You cannot, you cannot escape this one because it says who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only who do the same, but approve of those who practice them. So if you look at some of these and you go, that shouldn't be a sin. Nothing wrong with that. Or if you are sympathetic towards those sins and you approve of them either by practice. Well, know that you are condemned by that. Such things are worthy of death. Like all of these are worthy of death. And we would not say that, would we No, Because we're guilty of them. We would be condemning ourselves as we see in the next chapter. So if we look through this chapter and we say there's some sins, th- these aren't sins. Well, you're guilty of putting God on trial rejecting and condemning him as wicked. And as we're, we'll learn next week, this has not been written for us to take pot shots at one another and say, see, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. The point is Paul is showing us how hopelessly sinful we are that our condemnation of others is makes us guilty as well. And we're even more guilty due to our hypocrisy. So what do we do? What do we do when we are pierced by God's word? When it just goes right to the heart and we're like, ouch, that hurts because I can identify. 
that I am facing the wrath and the judgment of God because of my sin and because of my uncleanness and my vile passions and my debased mind. Well, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The promise of the gospel is that we can have a new clean heart. We can be born again. We can have a new mind and a new heart that is not defiled by sin any longer by faith in Jesus. And we see that the gospel, it was foreshadowed in the old Testament in Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34. God said, I will forgive their sin and I will remember their iniquity no more. He chooses not to remember. We, we might suppress him, but he says, I will choose to not remember your sin anymore. Not one of them. If someone says, Hey, what about that sinner? What sin? Jesus has paid the price for us. He has provided atonement by his grace. And so by faith, we can be made new. All the shame and the guilt is gone because of what Jesus has done. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So it's by faith in Jesus. We are born again. We receive a new heart, a new spirit, a renewed mind. We receive the Holy spirit who guides us into truth, who helps us to do what pleases God. So to all given up to uncleanness, vile passions, a debased mind, Jesus gives the hope of redemption and salvation because he loves us out of his goodness. It's because of his love and his mercy. We're not consumed. And he gives us the hope of eternal life. That is sure that we know where we're going and we know we are safe in our savior. And if we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, there's divine acceptance and forgiveness through God who saves us. It's those who admit that they're sinners. Those who admit that they have fallen short of God's glory. Those who have sinned and are sinning that we can be forgiven and redeemed. We can be declared righteous by faith in Christ. So instead of facing God's wrath, we have this promise of new life. We have this hope that fades not away in heaven for us. And we have a promise of new life, peace that passes understanding, fullness of joy. And how good is God to free us from that burden, to give us a new mind, to give us eyes to see that we could, instead of suppressing the truth of righteousness, know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and follow him faithfully. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you've made it sharp enough to pierce the hardest heart, that your word is like a fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And you do this not to crush us and to humiliate us, but to, Restore us to yourself to show us our, ter- our need, how great it is and how great your mercy is. That the gospel is greater than our sin. That your love is more awesome than our failures. That you have given us a hope of salvation that we don't deserve through Jesus. And we can experience that today, right now. And so, Lord, I pray as you have opened our eyes to our sin, I pray we would repent of that sin. We would turn from it and we would receive the forgiveness and salvation offered by your grace. Lord, for those of us who have known you, um, help us not to be hardening our hearts against you and not to think that we are something that we're not, but to realize we are sinners 
and we need salvation. We need the hope and help that only Jesus gives by his grace. And so Lord, we rejoice. We thank you that you have seen fit to reveal yourself in this world. And even in us that we have your spirit dwelling within us, that we have a hope of heaven and that there is, there is the sure hope of salvation and an expectation that instead of wrath, we have mercy. We are preserved and uh, will be with you forever. And so Lord, we rejoice and thank you for your goodness to us and your promises in Jesus name. Amen.